Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. And I invite you to turn to the passage that Ted just read for us, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you're using one of the red Bibles uh, provided, it's on page 962. And I don't think I'll hold on to this the whole message. I'll put that down. Okay. I do find it hard to do two things at once. So. Let me just uh, begin by extending a thank you to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Thank you, Kishwaukee Bible Church, from myself, from our entire family. Uh, the last 11 months, uh, God has uh, graciously enriched us with a church home, enriched me with an opportunity to serve, and we are grateful for the love and the care that you all have provided. We will miss you, there's no doubt. Uh, but uh, I just think of the psalmist, Psalm 16, saying of God's people, um, these are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And uh, you are the excellent ones. God's people are the excellent ones. And uh, we have fellowship. This morning's passage is going to talk about the connection that we have in the gospel, regardless of where we are in locality and in place in life, uh, we are connected through Jesus Christ all because of what he has done. We together say Christ is enough for us because of what he's done. So thank you. Well, we're coming, and we do come this morning, to the end of our journey through 1 Corinthians. It began about 11 months ago, second week of July. We took a few breaks, uh, but we've, we're now in this final chapter. Uh, we ended, we didn't get all the way through chapter 15, but if you, you look at the sections of chapter 15, uh, I encourage you to read them and meditate on them today especially as you think about the hope of the resurrection that all believers have. Um, we spent a couple of weeks on that theme, and it's such a huge theme in Scripture that Paul kept on writing about. It's the longest chapter in 1 Corinthians. And so we, we focused in on the heart of the gospel, uh, the cross and the resurrection in Jesus Christ, which we share on it. And the, 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 the uh, book seems to hit its real high point right there. Can you, can you get higher than the thing that Paul calls of first importance, namely the gospel, the, the death of Jesus Christ and his, his resurrection to new life that gives his people new life, all who trust in him. It's the real high point. And then you get to chapter 16. And like so many of Paul's uh, letters, so many of the epistles that he wrote, you get to that last chapter, and, and it feels pretty anticlimactic, doesn't it? Uh, it's sort of like the junk drawer at home where you toss everything in it. Like, I don't know where to put that, so put it in the junk drawer. It's like Paul has to get the last remarks. Thank you to this person. Blessings from that person. Oh, don't forget to do this. We've got some, got some mundane things uh, to take care of. It's, it's sort of like the, when you look down that agenda of the meeting, at the end is always that word miscellaneous, right? <laughs> chapter 16 and the last chapter of Paul's, or the, at least the end of many of Paul's letters, they sort of feel like the junk drawer. They sort of, sort of feel like the miscellaneous at the end of the, the agenda. And though I... Perhaps the high point was the resurrection and the gospel, yet there is much that we can draw from this last chapter of this epistle. And much of it has to do with, with church life, 
Uh, Paul talks about just the everyday connections and, and tasks and relationships in the church. But as we look into that, we get a real insight into, into the working out of the life of the local body. And in particular, the relationships. Notice how many names were mentioned in uh, the text. Hey, greetings from these folks, and, and greetings back from those folks, and hey, remember these guys, and, and honor those guys, and hey, I'm sending Timothy, and, and Apollos is coming later, and I really want to see you guys, but I don't want to go just in passing. I want to plan my trip so that I can spend some significant time with you. And so this, this last chapter, though it has, you know, it, it, there's like 15 topics, which we will not cover exhaustively this morning in this last text. So there's all these different topics that don't always seem to be connected. I think the thing that connects them and brings them together is the connection in the life of the church, the body of Christ living out the gospel together. And that certainly fits into the entire theme of the book of 1 Corinthians, that, that this uh, this. Uh, book is about living out our gospel identity. Not just me living out my gospel identity or you living out your gospel identity, but us, the local church, living out our gospel identity together. And so I want to go ahead and state what I think is, is the unifying theme, at least for our purposes today, and then we'll, we'll work from that. And it's namely this, that the challenges of church life, the challenges of pursuing life, pursuing mission together as a shared, the shared life of the local church, the challenges of church life are eclipsed by the richness of our fellowship together when the gospel takes center stage. There are challenges. There are highs. There are lows. There's great triumph and there's great disappointment as we live out within the local church, this local church, every local church, as we live that out on mission, as we follow the mission that Christ gave us to make disciples who make disciples. There are challenges. We're going to see the challenges in this, pa in this passage. But the challenges of living life on mission together as a local body are far, out, far outweighed, far eclipsed by the fellowship and, and the joy of that fellowship that we have together as the gospel of Jesus Christ. The thing that Paul said was of absolute first importance in chapter 15, as the gospel takes center stage. And as we, the gospel has center stage, and as we seek to, to shine the spotlight on the gospel in our life together. And so I want to draw four lessons out there um, from verses 1 through 14. Four lessons. And each lesson is going to have a challenge. We're going to recognize a challenge of living out our communal life together as the body of Christ. There's, there's a challenge to the local body, but that challenge also represents an opportunity to keep the gospel center, to keep it center stage and enrich our fellowship. What the Bible calls, uh, though the word isn't used here, it's used plenty of other places in Scripture and in this uh, and in this book, the word koinonia, our shared life, our common life together. So each challenge in church life is an opportunity to make the gospel center stage and to draw down from the grace of God through the gospel and enrich our fellowship together. And I, my prayer, Kishwaukee Bible Church, is that as uh, you've made your way through a phase of transition, 
And as you look to the, to the next season of ministry with the pastor that the Lord has given to you, that you would recognize that there will be challenges ahead. But as you shine the light of God's grace on the gospel and pursue that together, that you will experience his grace. So our first challenge from verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4, Paul begins, notice he begins now concerning. There are two more now concernings, and we've seen four now concernings before this. And if you recall, when Paul begins with those words, now concerning, uh, what he's referring to is something that the Corinthians had written to him about. He's writing them a letter, but they had already written him a letter. And in that letter, they had questions about certain things, and Paul uh, began to address those things, questions about, uh, questions about marriage, um, questions about spiritual gifts in chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, they had written him and asked him a question about this collection that Paul was going was gonna to take when he got there. And Paul gives some very, I would say, mundane Ordinary instructions, basically one through four is kind of, here's sort of the process, here are the procedures for making the collection. Do it on the first day of the week. Everybody sets them aside. And even though I think there's some good principles for, um, for the act of giving in the church, uh, things like setting something aside, uh, Paul talks about doing that as you have prospered. Uh, in verse 2. The idea is that as the Lord has blessed you, uh, you should give and I should give proportionately, right? We shouldn't, we shouldn't be um, compelled to give by some, someone else. Paul says, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to make a big emotional appeal to try to get you to give stuff. You look at your life and look at how the Lord has prospered you. To what extent has the Lord given you increase? And if you've been extremely blessed financially, then you should be given more. And if you have been blessed in a more moderate way, then give in proportion to that. Those, that, those are great principles. Uh, but, but really, overall, it's, it's, it's kind of mundane. It's like, set it aside, I'll collect it, maybe I'll deliver it myself. Hey, you find some folks that are accredited by you guys and we'll send them with the gift. And so I think that perhaps the challenge here, the challenge is just the mundane, uh, the ordinary of church life. I mean, isn't a lot of the life of a local church ordinary? Setting up chairs, sending out serving schedules, sending out worship team schedules, uh, making the church budget. I mean, whoever really got excited about going to a church budget meeting? It's just numbers, and it's just expense accounts in all of that. It's mundane. That's the challenge, I think. But the opportunity for the gospel here is found in what, how Paul approaches this gift. We need a little bit more context to understand that. You see, Notice that the gift is going to believers in Jerusalem at the end of verse 3. And Paul had a special place in his heart for the believers and the church at Jerusalem. That's where, from a New Testament perspective, that the New Testament church had begun there in the book of Acts, right? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And, and Paul knew that the believers back in Jerusalem uh, 
were in a very difficult situation financially. Uh, there was just uh, great poverty there. And so Paul wanted to go to the, they were sort of the Jewish church in Jerusalem, and Paul, as he went to the churches that he had planted in more of the Gentile regions of the Roman Empire, uh, was asking if they would give as they were able in order to bless their brothers and sisters who they'd never met in, back in Jerusalem. Listen to how Paul states this in the book of Romans. This is Romans 15, beginning at verse 25. And here Paul is writing to a Gentile church in Rome. So at present, however, I am going, Paul says, to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. This is after he would have collected from the Corinthians. For Macedonia and Achaia, that's where Corinth is, Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints, God's holy ones, at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed owe it to them. Here's, how, here's Paul's sort of um, math of the gospel here. For the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, known Jesus Christ through the gospel, so they ought to also be in the service to them in material blessings. Here's how it worked for Paul. Paul said that the church started in Jerusalem, and that's where the, the apostles were sent out with the gospel. And because of that, because of the church in Jerusalem, now you, you Gentiles uh, have heard the gospel and have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so you have reaped the spiritual blessings of your brothers and sisters you've never met back in Jerusalem. And they are in material need. And so you owe it to them in a certain sense to provide for them materially. See, it wasn't just the mundane of a collection for Paul. It was a connection with God's people. You may have never met these people, but in, in a certain sense, you owe your salvation to them. And so you can, be, you can be a blessing and you can be an encouragement to them by giving. It's not just me coming and collecting money because, oh yeah, we got to fill that benevolent need over there. No, there's relationship. There's connection through the gospel of Jesus Christ with these people. And so it isn't just a, a, a function of the church. It isn't just mundane. It, it, it isn't just the ordinary. Paul calls it in verse 3 of our text a gift. But literally the word is a grace. You can be a means of grace. The common things that you do, believer, in the church can be a means of grace to other people. When you set up the chairs those who set up the chairs. You are a means of grace to those who come and worship in this space. When you care for children through the nursery or through teaching in Sunday school, you might say, that's, oh, that's, such, that's such a common, boring thing to do. Here, oh, here comes the, I just got the Sunday school schedule again. But you are a means of grace to your brothers and sisters. You're a means of grace to the children you care for and the children you teach. And as for those budget meetings, every line item on every church budget represents people and ministry and ways that we can be grace, we can be an encouragement to someone else. In the body of Christ, we share in the common life of Christ in a way that is uncommon because of Christ's extraordinary uncommon body. 
And so find God's grace in the ordinary, Kishwaukee Bible Church. That's the first challenge. Second challenge comes from verses 5 through 8. Verses 5 through 8, Paul lays out his, his travel plans in verses 5 through 8. And obviously he wants to see them. You know, he says, he's like, you know, I'm going to, this is, this is sort of the plan that I have. I'd like what I'd like to do. Paul's in Ephesus. He's writing this letter to the Corinthians. He's answering the questions they had. He's addressing concerns that he's heard about in the church, and we've looked at those over the last several months. And he says, you know what? I'm in Ephesus right now. Uh, you can follow his intended itinerary beginning at verse 5. I'd like to go up north to Macedonia, but I'd like to spend some time there with the believers in, in places like Philippi. Maybe I'll even stay the winter there if you're in the ancient world you generally don't travel during the winter, so you've got to kind of time your travel plans based on where you might land for the winter months. And then, then I want to come see, come down the Achaia and come down and, and, and visit you guys, but I don't just want to pass through. I want to plan it so I can spend uh, a lot of time with you guys. If the Lord permits, he says at the, verse, at the end of verse 8. And then he, he talks about what's happening presently for him in the city of Ephesus. He says, a wide door of effective ministry has opened for me, and there are many adversaries. And there are many adversaries. Yeah, I've, I've got a wide door of gospel work, but there's also opposition. And I think the challenge here is opposition. It's defeat. It's, it's obstacles to the work of the gospel in the local church. But notice how Paul talks about this opposition, how he talks about these obstacles. He doesn't say, you know what? There is a wide door. We've got some real opportunities uh, for the work of the Lord in Ephesus. But doggone it, there are adversaries. Why did that have to happen? It's almost like he puts them on parallel levels. Wide door for effective work, and there's opposition. As if it's exactly what you would expect to happen. And think about the ministry of the Apostle Paul. That's exactly what happened wherever he proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. Whether there was... Whether there was opportunity or not, there was, always, there was always opposition, wherever he went. In fact, I get the impression the way Paul writes this, it's almost like the opposition is evidence that there's a wide door open for the work of the gospel. There's a wide door, hey, and there's opposition, so I got to stay here in Ephesus for the time being. And, and keep declaring the gospel and keep caring for God's people. And he did that. We read in, uh, in the book of Acts how he spent two years reasoning with people in the hall of Tyrannus from the scriptures, showing them that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, so Paul put his money where his, his mouth is here. There was challenge. No doubt that when we feel those challenges in our work for Christ, in our serving in the local church, in our, in our living on mission in our community, uh, we're tempted to doubt. You know, we get a little bit of opposition to the gospel, and it's like, oh, maybe, not, maybe I shouldn't do this. 
I started to share Christ with that neighbor and, and they didn't really like it. Maybe, maybe I should quit. We get discouraged, right? We, we doubt. Another good word, we get disillusioned. But look, look how, look at Paul's example. I'm going to do the work of the Lord. There's a wide door open for effective work. I'm going to do the work and I'm going to trust the Lord with the details. He gives them here, in fact, a, a travel itinerary that he doesn't actually end up keeping. <laughs> we know what happened after this. Uh, but that little part where Paul says, if the Lord permits, is relevant because it didn't happen that way. And so it's as if it's Paul saying, listen, I made my plans, here they are, you know, but if it doesn't work out that way, I'm just going to keep working. I'm going to be fruitful where God has me right now because there's an opportunity for the gospel. KBC, you, you, there may be reasons for discouragement. In fact, I would say over the last 12 months or so during this season of transition, there have been reasons for discouragement, haven't there? But, but having been here and having been part of your body and having been able to observe that to a certain extent, I can commend God's grace to you that I've observed that this church has just been faithful and been consistent and done the work of the Lord that is put in front of them. And I think that's exactly what we're called to do here in this passage. It's gospel resiliency. Paul writes about it next page. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, reflecting on the opposition he felt, even as there was a wide door of opportunity in Ephesus, he writes in, in chapter 1, verse 8 of 2 Corinthians, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, that's where Ephesus is, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. Look, notice the faith. God has done this. He's, he's, he's taken care of us. He's delivered us. He will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. There's a challenge in the ministry of the local church that, that we face opposition, that we, have our, that we take our hits, that we have our losses. But the opportunity of the gospel is to do the work that's before us and trust the Lord for the outcome, to be resilient disciples of Jesus Christ, to be faithful in what we know and what, in what God has revealed and trust him for the rest. A third challenge is in verses 10 through 12. In verses 10 through 12, we're introduced to two ministry colleagues of Paul, two brothers that he served with, two ministers that he served with, and they, they are, couldn't be, I, it's maybe too absolute to say they couldn't be more different, but they were very different. Uh, in verse 10, we're introduced to Timothy, and you remember who Timothy was. He was the young sort of protege, understudy of Pastor Paul. And Paul was building into him, and, and Timothy, uh, Paul uh, commends him here to these folks. He's doing the work of the Lord as I am, but 
Timothy had his challenges. Um, he wasn't, he wasn't, he was kind of timid. He wasn't very forceful. Um, maybe he was kind of a nervous constitution because Paul said, hey, Timothy, and when he wrote to Timothy, you should uh, drink a little wine for your stomach, you know, and he, this, is, this was Timothy, and he was young. On the other hand, there was Apollos, and Apollos, uh, especially as far as the Corinthians were concerned, he was the man. I mean, they were downloading his sermons left and right. They loved this guy. And that's why probably, notice it starts out now concerning in verse 12. They were probably writing to Paul because he was in the area, he had just seen Apollos in Ephesus, asking, hey, when's Apollos coming back? I mean, they're not even making any bones about it. We read about it earlier. They had their factions. I'm with Peter. I'm with Paul. I'm with Apollos. Apollos of the silver tongue, they loved his preaching. He was forceful. He was dynamic. And they wanted more of him. And Paul, verses, here in verses 10 through 12, says, you know what? Um, Apollos is going to come, but he's not coming real soon. But I am sending you Timothy. Timid Timothy. <laughs> Young Timothy. Nervous constitution Timothy. You're getting him. And apparently, Paul had some concerns about his reception because he's like, hey, you guys, you know, receive him. Put him at ease. <laughs> I mean, th these guys had been pretty tough on Paul. <laughs> how, how is, you know, is Paul sending his protege to the lions here, perhaps? In other words, you're not, you're not getting what you prefer. And that's a challenge in church life. Not getting what I want. Not getting what I prefer. Why aren't we singing my favorite song on Sunday morning? Why aren't we doing VBS the way I like to do it? Whatever it is. I suppose that it's possible that there might be someone here this morning who, with regard to the pastoral search, might say, We're not getting, I'm not getting the person I preferred to get to be our pastor. I have two words for you. So what? So what? When did the church of Jesus Christ, when was it ever about what, what I was going to get out of it? When was it ever about singing the songs that I like and doing ministries the way I would prefer to do them? You know what we get when we get what, when we do things the way we want to do it? Look at the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve wanted to run things their way. God, you gave us a way but we, we would like to run it our way. You know what we get when we get what we deserve? We get eternal separation from God. But God is gracious to us. He gives us what we don't deserve. You see, the local church isn't about my preferences. I mean, that, that's the way our world works, right? It's called consumerism. It is the number one threat, I believe, to the church, to, to having true fellowship, real body life, being on mission together. 
because everything else is turn, that we do as soon as you turn on a screen or listen to something, somebody is telling you about something that you should need and you should want. And you should, you should get this and you should run your life this way and people should get in line with your wants and your perceived needs. And the local church isn't about that. The local church is about receiving from God. It's about, it's about our fellowship with one another. And so rather than focusing on any aspect of church life that, where I say, I want this or it should be my way, I think Paul gives us a, a beautiful gospel-focused way forward here. I'm sending you Timothy. You're not going to be impressed with him. <laughs> but he's faithful, Paul says. And so help him. I mean, what a, what a great encouragement and exhortation to us. You're struggling with something about the local church that you don't particularly like? Well, be of help to that. Be of service to your brothers and sisters rather than complaining about what you potentially don't like or something that isn't the way that you, should, that you would want it. Help him. Help him on his way in peace. Be a person of peace. And you know that, that peace in the relationships in the local church isn't just about an absence of conflict. You know, that's, that's not enough to be peace. Peace is the presence of well-being. It's, it's that Hebrew word, shalom. It's when there's well-being. It's when there's wholeness in relationship. It's when there's flourishing among God's people. The challenge in church life my agenda, my preferences. The opportunity for the gospel is to be, help, be a person of help, be a person of peace, be a person of shalom. Final challenge to us this morning from God's word and challenge to the local church. Verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, Paul kind of gives us a, you know, a little bit of a staccato machine gun exhortation thing. You know, be watchful, stand firm, act like men, be strong. Okay, got it? Real quick. I mean, boom, 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 right there. What, why is he doing this? Why is it like stand firm, be watchful, uh, act like men, or, or act like grown-ups? The point is not to ask in masculinity the point is to act like a mature person. Well, these were the things that they were struggling with. You remember the rest of the book. Paul says, uh, be watchful. Uh, watchful over your life. Well, they were falling into all kinds of, of immorality, right, in the local church. And Paul also says here, stand firm in the faith. Well, just in the previous chapter, Paul was having to remind them about a very basic doctrine, namely the resurrection that they had been denying. They were struggling with some, some basic doctrines of the faith. Paul says here, uh, be grown-ups. Act like grown-ups. Well, earlier he had told them, I can't feed you solid food. I have to feed you uh, just milk formula because you're not acting like grown-ups. You're arguing and you're whining and you're, you're playing favorites and, and you're having cliques in the church. Paul says here, be strong. 
And we know that there was, there was great weakness in this church. And so the challenge here, the challenge that we all struggle with in the local church, is, is to be complacent. It's to be childish, as they were. It's to, it's to be will, weak, milk-toast kinds of Christians, to kind of to go with the flow, to just be complacent in our Christian life. But the opportunity, Paul says, the opportunity is in, is in verse 14. Verse 14 is, wraps itself around those commands in verse 13 to be, to be watchful, to, be, to stand firm, uh, to be grown-ups, to be strong. It's all wrapped into this. How are you going to do that? Let everything that you do, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. In love. Now, now notice how serious, just stay with me here for a second. Notice how serious Paul is about believers in the local church loving with the love of Christ. Skip down to verse 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord or, the, the, or love of the Lord, let him be accursed. You want another translation? If you don't love, the hell with you. That's what accursed means. Anathema. Forever forsaken. Now, put that on a coffee cup and sell it at the local book, Christian bookstore. <laughs> put that on a yard sign and see who shows up at your church. Listen, love is serious. What was Paul's answer to their, to their infighting and their, their factions and their misunderstanding of spiritual gifts? Chapter 13, by speaking the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, nothing. If, I'm a, if I have great powers, I'm nothing without love. See, we've, we've seen this theme before. This is central to the life of the body of Christ because it's central to the gospel. What compelled the Lord to send his only son? He so loved the world. The unlovable sent his son to die to create a people for himself. That we might be the reflection of his love to one another and to the world. And so, if you're struggling to mature as a Christian, love. When in doubt, love. Love is both the means and the end, the ends of Christian maturity. We can measure our Christian maturity, are we more loving? And the way to become more mature as a Christian is to practice being more loving. And the way we can do that is not just to kind of say, I'm going to be really loving today. I'm going to really try hard to be loving. No, the way to do that is to reflect on God's love for us. Just reflect on the cross, all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's how we become more loving. Reflect on what God has done for us. Uh, a couple of Fridays ago, uh, few of us from this congregation were at a, a seminar on living out, living for Christ in the workplace. 
called Work as Worship. And um, one of the speakers was a name that I, I bet a lot of you uh, would be familiar with, uh, especially if you're between the ages of 15 and 30 and you watch a lot of Christian videos. <laughs> His name's Phil Vischer. He's the guy who created VeggieTales. And if you're in that age range, you may have literally <laughs> been raised on VeggieTales. And he told the story of his rather quick ascendance to, to fame within the Christian world and doing effective work within the church and helping people, little people and some bigger people, through the use of vegetables, uh, learn, more, <laughs> learn more of the Bible. And he talked about how things were just taken off for him. And the whole VeggieTales big idea uh, productions was just growing bigger and bigger, and he was becoming quite sure that he was going to be the Christian version of Walt Disney. People were telling him things like that. The videos were, were way popular, selling stuff, all kinds of wonderful things happening for him. And then all of a sudden, sales started to plummet, go down and down and down. And eventually, it's a longer story than this, but they lost a lawsuit, and he lost, he lost it all through bankruptcy. And as he told the story of that, he, he talked about, well, God, you could have, you could have turned things around. You, you could have turned things around at any point, but you didn't. And his conclusion as to why God didn't was that God was turning his focus onto Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. Who do you really love? Do you love the success that I've given you? Or do you love the Savior that I've given you? Because Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus without anything else is everything. That was the point. Christ alone is your hope found in him alone. It's a question Jesus asked Peter at the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 21, after, after Peter's denials and, and his failures and, and just a simple question that Jesus had for Peter. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? If you love me, then feed my sheep. Then love my people. It's a question Jesus is always asking us. It really narrows things down, doesn't it? It kind of gets us to the baseline, to the bottom line. He's asking you, he's asking me, do you love me? Then love my people. Then love this local body. Then love your neighbors. The challenge is to become complacent in the Christian life and complacent as a church. But the opportunity for the gospel is to love. It's to love as we've been loved by God. Kishwaukee Bible Church, as you enter another season of ministry, the days and the weeks and the months ahead, uh, there will be these challenges from the mundane to opposition to the struggle to, to want our own preferences to our own complacency. Friends, each time, each of those is an opportunity for the gospel. 
the gospel that we've learned about here in the book of 1 Corinthians, centered on God's love for us. The identity that we read about at the very beginning, the first few verses, this is who we are. This is who you are, Kishwaukee Bible Church. You are the church of God in DeKalb County, the, 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 the called out ones, God's people. You've been called together as saints to be his holy ones. And you are those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are who you are because of whose you are. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are not our own but that we were bought with a price. And Lord, we recognize that the price that purchased us to be your dearly loved children was the precious blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. We are so grateful to be your people this morning. We're so grateful to know that hope in life and in death, that our only comfort is that we're not our own, but that we belong body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We sing to his name that all glory be to him. Amen. for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible.org.